0: Darren, they put a note on my table. Sometimes to start the service out, they'll put notes on my table or they'll send me a text, the staff or someone around here who's trying to just rip me a little bit. So so here's what the note says. The note says, "Please see the cafe in regards to your unpaid bill." I don't know how much it is. Anybody wants to be generous, go by there and check on it for me. But 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 it says P.S. Jesus paid it all. Happy Easter. Let me tell you something. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was a sacrifice that redeemed your life. Jesus paid it all. Somebody say, Jesus paid it all. Somebody else say, Jesus paid it all he paid it all listen he paid it all and then the resurrection was the miracle that overcame the death because on the third day when the stone was rolled away there was a grace that rolled out from heaven that empowers you to live your life you see the resurrection was not just for something that was 2,000 years ago the resurrection is there to empower you in who you are in Christ Jesus how many of you want to tap into that power today come on come on come on come on somebody sing your name I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for hope. We thank you for breakthrough. We thank you for healing. For Lord, we know that you did not die on that cross in vain, but you paid it all so that we would know healing, help. Just wait upon the Lord for a minute. Jesus. person that's in this place today, the Lord wants you to know that you came here hoping that you would get an answer, that God is listening to you, and knows about you, and the Bible says that he knows you by name, and that he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. So if you came into this place not really sure about what tomorrow holds, you need to understand that God holds your tomorrow. And that He knows that feeling of loss that's in your life. He knows that feeling of discouragement. He knows what you're going through. And today there is a name that's above every other name that wants to meet you in this place and give to you the breakthrough that you so desire. So if you felt all alone, know that you are not alone because he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you felt tired, know that he's heard your cry for rest because he said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Know that if you feel like you're hopeless, that the cross gives to you a hope. Lord, have mercy. Those who feel discouraged and depressed, he wants to give you a joy today. His mercies are new every single morning. Place today. the spirit of the Lord is here mm. good lord I have mercy somebody give him one more hand clap of praise come on just give him just give him come on just give, just give him <laughs> I feel like preaching I feel like preaching so here's what I want you to do don't sit down yet don't sit down Can you stand up with me for another moment? I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to speak a blessing over them. Say, God is about to bless you. Touch your neighbor and say, God is about to bless you. Now, your second choice in a neighbor who is thinking that you are a little unneighborly, I want you to look at them and say, and God is about to bless you too. Now, hang on a second before you're seated. Hold on. Because today we're going to look at a narrative that unfolded 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning. It's a narrative that gave to us the very first Easter story. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Mm, Somebody's excited about the word. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, as you're turning there, let me set this up. Today we're closing out a series called Strange Encounters where we're looking at the strange encounters that Jesus had in his ministry, some of the things that will make you go, Jesus did that. Jesus said what? Some of the things that make you go, hmm, really, Jesus said that? And last week, we, we left Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the place of the crushing, the place of the pressing, where the pressure of life that Jesus was going through, the agony of knowing that he would be separated from God, such extreme pressure. They came into the garden. The soldiers arrested him. They crucified him, and they placed him in a tomb. And then on the third day, an incredible miracle took place, the greatest miracle of all. Now, before we ever read the narrative, let me, let me give to you the title. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a new day. Look at somebody else and say, it's a new day. Look at somebody else and say, it's a new day. Somebody in this place needs to hear this. It is a new day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And if somebody in this place needs to know that God's about to do a new thing in your life, somebody needs to know that the grace of God is about to saturate your life and what was old is about to give way to a new sunrise in your life. Good Lord, is there any new day praisers in the house of God today? Because it's at that place. Lord, have mercy. I feel like preaching up in here today. Listen, it's in that place. It's in that place where your problem is met by his promise. Your burden is met by his blessing. Your calamity is met by his clarity. Today is resurrection day where God is going to take something old and make it new in your life. It's a new day. I'm going to preach out of a voice, I think, Darren. It's a new day. Somebody say it's a new day. I'm going to let y'all be seated. But before you are, hold on. High five somebody. And say it's a new day. Some some of y'all are like, well, he better let us sit down or they're going to have to have a resurrection before this thing's over with. It's a new day. Is it okay if I read part of the narrative to you? And as I read, I want to pause and preach. Is that okay? That's what I'm going to do anyway. I'm going to read a little and I'm going to preach a little. And here's what John chapter 20, John's gospel says. Let me set this up here. John in his gospel is picking up on the third day. Jesus has been crucified, placed in a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't be there for a while. This tomb is in a garden. So here's how it unfolds. He says, early on the first day, somebody say the first day of the week, it's a new day. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Hold on a second. Here is Mary coming to the tomb wanting to finish the embalming process on the body of Jesus. But yet his body is not there. This is a strange encounter. This is something strange. So she gets to this place. The tomb is empty, but John's gospel enlightens us to some other things that we need to grab hold of. John tells us that this is the first day of the week, it's the Sabbath, it's Sunday. What he's letting us know is that the Passover celebration that has been taking place for the last seven days is now over because there's a new week, there's a new day. The Passover began the week before on Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, day seven, the Passover is over. Now what I love about the biblical numerology is that every number has a meaning. The number seven, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the number seven in the Bible represents completion. But what's even better is today is the new day. It's the eighth day from the beginning of the Passover. The number eight in biblical numerology means new beginnings. It's a new day. It's the eighth day. But it's also the third day in which Jesus had been placed in a tomb. But the eighth day carries some significance because it's the end of the celebration of the passover which is the celebration of the law but now it's the eighth day it's the third day jesus is up from the grave there's a new day there's a new way where jesus christ has kicked open the tomb he's overcome death hell and the grave and he's given to us grace so that we will not be in the bondage of law grace gives us the ability to rise up and live the life that god has called us to live somebody say a new day You're going to need to help me preach today, a new day. So here is Mary at the tomb. Coming to the tomb, this is a place that is going to cause Mary to have some struggles in her faith. And those that will follow her will have some struggles in their faith too, because the body is not their faith the substance of things hoped for the evidence not seen but faith occurs when the undeniable confronts the unexplained. think about that faith occurs when the unexplainable confronts the undeniable grab that in your spirit Faith occurs when the unexplainable confronts the undeniable. It is undeniable, Richie, that the body of Jesus Christ is gone, but yet Mary doesn't fully understand that the body is not there. That's going to be a problem. But let me tell you something. Faith doesn't mean that you have all of the answers to life's toughest questions. Sometimes in our faith, we wrestle with the unexplainable, but this is the new day. It's the eighth day from the beginning of the Passover. So the Passover is complete, and now there is a new day where Jesus Christ has come out of the tomb. It's the new day. And I don't know who this is for in here, but somebody in here, you are worried. You have brought on the resurrection morning, you have brought your worry. You're worrying over something that God has already worked out. Grab hold of that. You are worrying over something that God has already worked out. Because if you were to read this narrative in another gospel, let's just take the gospel of Mark, if you will. If you were to read this narrative in Mark's gospel, the synoptic gospel, he characterizes this story a little bit differently. He says that Mary was on the way to the tomb with Salome. And on the way to the tomb, Mary was concerned and worried about the stone. She even said to Salome, how, when we get to the tomb, are we going to move the stone? Because the stone is way too heavy. But if you were to read Mark's gospel, you would see that when they got to the stone, the stone had already been rolled away, and there was an angel who was sitting on top of the stone. Hello? God had already worked out what they were worried about. Why was the angel, Maria, sitting on top of the stone? Some would say, well, because he was tired, he'd been pushing that rock all night long. No. This angel is the CrossFit angel. This angel is the strength training angel. This angel is the one that can push it all night. It just doesn't matter. He's got this under control. Why is the angel seated on the stone? Well, according to Jewish tradition, When a rabbi is beginning to teach, when the teacher is about to teach, you would sit down in order to respect his authority. Mm, Grab that. When the teacher is about to teach, you would sit down because he is the one who's in authority. You're not catching what I'm throwing. The reason why the angel was sitting down is because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. See, the thing that you've been worried about, the resurrection has already worked out. The thing that you thought that you couldn't do, the resurrection has taken care of. It's a new day. Why? Because Jesus Christ carries all authority. So the angel is seated because of who Jesus is I've only got to one verse I still have 17 more verses to go can I start preaching again let me let me go back to reading hold on hold on hold on so verse 2 watch this it says so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one that Jesus loved and she said they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him She didn't understand it. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. If you were to read over in Mark's gospel, Mary goes into the tomb and she realizes that Jesus is not there. And she comes out and tells Salome, he gone, girl, he just gone. (laughs) Salome goes in and she said, wait, girl, he gone, where'd he go? He, He just gone, 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 all gone. in today's world she would have come out of the tomb and instead of running over to wherever peter and john were she'd have pulled out her phone and she'd send a group text message to all the disciples <laughs> talking about he gone he is gone i mean he's gone i don't know where he's at and then that text would be followed up by one of those acronyms that y'all be using W-T-H. Y'all know, I see y'all use that. (laughs) Talking about what the heaven, he's gone. He's gone, he's gone. (laughs) All of the sanctified people are sitting there looking at me like, I can't believe he just said that. Girl, I can't. I can't believe he just said that. Lord, have mercy! All of the emails are being fired off right now. I hear my phone going off. But here was Mary, totally just not know what's going on. Here's Mary. She's not sure. She's there's so much uncertainty. It can't end like this. Where is Jesus? Where is he? And I think so many times we, we live in verse 2. We live in this place of uncertainty. It's not that we're looking for the body of Jesus Christ, but in our faith there's so much uncertainty. You know, the greatest power that God ever displayed is the empty tomb. The greatest display of God's power is when he displayed the absence of Christ in the tomb. That's the greatest display of his power. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. But yet Mary is there. She's looking at this and what she sees is overwhelming everything that she's ever heard. Where is my Lord? And you know we're the same way. We can come to church on Sunday and God can be showing up and falling down in this place. And it's incredible. God, he's so good. And we're telling everybody on the way out, God's good. But then tomorrow, all hell breaks out in your life. And you're like, where's God? Am I telling the truth? Where's God? Where's God? But then John gives us a little more of the specifics of that very first Easter, look at verse 3. In his humility, he says, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. John refers to himself in a position of humility as the other disciple. Then he says, Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Hold on a second. I love that. John is showing us how humble he is, but then in his humility, he's letting all of the readers know that he's a lot faster than Peter. <laughs> I beat Peter to the tomb. He's slow, I'm fast. The other disciple. <laughs> but then in verses 5 and 6, watch this. It says, He bent over and he reached the tomb first. John did. He As he bent over and he reached the tomb first, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there. Here it's Peter who's kind of doing what Peter does, and he blows on by John. As John is bent over looking in the tomb, here comes Peter blowing right on by him. And when Peter gets into the tomb, he's looking at all of the linens that are lying there. This is interesting to me. Can I conjure up an image for you really quickly? When Mary comes to Peter and John, we know according to history that all of the disciples were together. We know that. So when Mary comes to Peter and John, she was not just coming to Peter and John. She was coming to all of the disciples. So when Mary told Peter and John, the other disciples were there that the Lord's body is gone. He's gone. He's just gone. They heard it. They even saw Peter and John put on their cloaks and they saw Peter and John take off running. But yet, no one else accompanied them to the tomb. They all heard it, but no one else accompanied them to the tomb. That means... In Peter and John's willingness to run to the tomb, no one else was able to experience what Peter and John experienced. The empty tomb. Everyone else missed the empty tomb. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you want to experience Jesus and his power, you've got to make a move in his direction. The Bible says if you'll come close unto God, that he will come close unto you. Who comes first? We do. I'm reminded of Moses who's on the backside of the desert. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep. He's living a meaningless life. He's just a shepherd. And when he looks across the desert, he sees a burning bush and the bush is on fire, but it is not consumed. And so the Bible says that Moses says, I'm going to go and see what that's about. And when he turns to go to see the bush, that's when God speaks to him. The point that I am trying to make is if you want to experience God and everything that he has for you, you need to move in his direction. (laughs) Verse seven, somebody say verse seven. Verse seven says, As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Hold on a second. Can I teach for a minute? So when Peter gets to the tomb, what John is doing is he's giving us a peek into the tomb. John is very, very specific about what the inside of this tomb looked like, and Peter, goes into the tomb like a CSI agent. He's just checking out everything in the tomb. He's checking it all out. And the Bible says that he goes into the tomb. Let me act this out for you. And when he goes into the the tomb, he sits down where the body of Christ was lying. And on this side, there is the, the, the cloth that was on the face of Jesus. It is folded up neatly and it is placed in an orderly position, separate from the other linens. On this side, you have all of the linens that Christ was wrapped in, if you will, his body was wrapped in. On this side, you have this this cloth that was on his head, over his face, that is folded up very, very neatly and placed in a fashion that is separate from everything else that is in the tomb. Now, this is also called a napkin, if you will, but in the Greek it's called a sudarian, which is a burial cloth. It was a cloth that they would use during that day and age to wipe the perspiration from their face, but it's also the cloth that they would use to place over the person who was being buried. What I love and what is very interesting about this cloth is that it is folded up in a very neat fashion in the upright position, which tells us the disposition of Christ when he was raised from the dead, that he was calm and under control. He took the time to wrap the napkin and place it in an upright position. This is where it gets good. Here is Peter. Sitting in the place where the body of Christ has now vacated. On this side, you have the napkin. On this side, you have the pile of linens that wrapped his body. And Then it had to hit Peter that there was some incredible symbolism that was present because there was this Hebrew tradition that Peter's mind would have gone to when he saw this napkin neatly folded up and placed in its upright position. Because the napkin was a representation of the relationship between the master and the servant. You see, if the master was going to dine at the table, the servant would come in first and set the table in its entirety. The master would come in and eat. If the master was finished eating, he would grab that napkin and he would wipe his face, and then he would ball that napkin up and he would throw it into the middle of the table. That meant that the master was finished. That meant that the servant could come and clean the table. Now, if the napkin was folded up in an orderly fashion and the master folded it there, placed it in the upright position and got up and walked away from the table, the servant would not touch the table because the folded napkin meant I'm coming back. You're not catching this. The resurrection was not the end. It was the beginning. The resurrection was saying Jesus Christ is still at work. The resurrection is there to turn around what is upside down in your life. The resurrection is there to turn that mess into a message. That's what the resurrection is there for, to bring dead things back to life. Somebody say it's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, it's a new day. Mm. Then verse 8. Verse 8 tells us that John goes into the tomb finally. And when he walks into the tomb, he sees the position of the napkin, the head cloth, and the other linens. And the Bible says in verse 8 that John believes. That's what it says. It says John believes. In other words, the proof of the resurrection became undeniable for him because he saw the placement of the napkin, and he saw it. And when he saw it, it says that he believes. The resurrection should cause us to believe. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in a savior by the name of Jesus Christ I believe in the cross I believe in his blood I believe in the resurrection I believe that he's coming back and I know that may offend some in culture but I can't help it I've seen the undeniable proof I may not have all of the answers but I know who does because I've seen the proof I've seen by his stripes we are healed I've seen a peace that surpasses all understanding you see my faith is not anchored in the event of the resurrection because my faith is anchored in the the mindset of the resurrection because the resurrection is not just an event. The resurrection is a state of mind. And our mindset should be one of life, not death because that's what Jesus Christ offered us when he kicked open the door of a borrowed tomb But Peter, sitting there in a tomb that has been vacated by the Lord and Savior, with the backdrop and the shadow of the cross behind him, and there was a shot that had to fire through his central nervous system that the last time he saw Jesus he denied him but yet now there's undeniable proof that the resurrection is real There's undeniable proof that Jesus Christ is the son of God. There's undeniable proof that the prophecy that Isaiah gave, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. The resurrection is not the end. It's the beginning. It's where God begins to turn everything around in your life. It's a new day. Can I take a little more time? this is when it hit me. Here is Jesus in a borrowed tomb that's in a garden. All of this is taking place in a garden. My mind began to reflect upon that fact. And then I thought, well, hold on a second. Just three days before Jesus was in agony in the garden of Gethsemane, the place of the Pressing, the place of the crushing where they would take stones and crush olives in order to extract the oil from the olives. And now here is the cornerstone being crushed, if you will. The Bible says that he is so pressed and has so much pressure on him that hemotridosis takes place where the capillaries in his face burst and he begins to sweat blood. Because of the anguish, the anxiety, the mental stress, the physical stress, the spiritual stress. And then my mind goes to the creation story where man lost dominion in the garden. Because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden. So man lost dominion in the garden. Jesus was pressed in the garden. Jesus was buried in a garden. And then it hit me. What is the quality of a garden? You don't bury something in the garden, you plant something in the garden, and therefore on the third day, let me declare over you, there is a supernatural harvest that was declared from heaven, that the resurrection is to work in your life, it works in your family's life, it works in your relationships, it works in your career, it works in your emotions, the resurrection works. I want to declare over your life today a supernatural harvest because on the third day the stone was rolled away. You see, he wasn't buried, he was planted. And somebody in this place, you need to realize what you thought had been buried has only been planted because God is about to resurrect it in your life. then there's verse 9 through 11 verses 9 and 10 basically say that Peter and John go back to where the other disciples were something happens in verse 11 you see they've all abandoned Mary she's just standing at the tomb all alone. and it says now Mary stood outside of the tomb she was crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She's standing outside of the tomb, wondering where Jesus has gone. Where is my Lord? The fear is overwhelming. This cannot be how it all ends. We follow Jesus. We've lived for Jesus. We've seen Jesus perform miracles. And now, where is his body? Fear begins to overwhelm her. But fear is not the end result because I think about the disciples. One day they were going to cross the sea and as they were crossing the sea, the storm blew up and they thought that they were about to die and fear overwhelmed them but Jesus stood up and began to speak to the wind and the waves and he said, the end result is not fear, peace be still and a peace that surpasses all understanding. What happens next? As she's looking into the tomb, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Why were they seated? Because when a teacher is about to proclaim who he is, you sit down under his authority. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. Hold on a second. Do you remember uh, I said early on that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen, that we live not by sight? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So watch this. It says she turned around and she saw jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was jesus he asked her woman why are you crying who is it who is it that you're looking for thinking that he was the gardener <laughs> that was a landscaper he was coming to trim out the the tomb. thinking that he was the gardener she said sir if you have carried him away tell me where you've put him and i will get him. Then in verse 16, something powerful happens. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbinai, which means teacher. He turned towards Mary and he said one word. He said, Mary. Mary. hope because our God knows us by name he said Mary from the tone of his voice and when she heard her name she knew that it was Jesus and what I love about this exchange is that Jesus did not have to tell her who he was but rather he told her who she was to him Jesus knows you by name. and Today he wants you to experience a new day. Remember, this was on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. And watch what happens in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I want you to stand up on this verse. Do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Look how he addresses the disciples. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He says, I am a sin. Listen, he says, go and tell my brothers. What he's saying is they may have abandoned me, but I will never ever abandon them. Go and tell them that the napkin has been folded, and I am coming back because I'm doing a work. It's the eighth day. The stone has been rolled away on the third day, and the resurrection has overcome the crucifixion. The resurrection works in your life. Somebody give God a hand clap of Praise. Somebody say it's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. day. And the Spirit of the Lord wants you to walk into that newness. There is nothing in your life. Is greater than his love. There is nothing in your life that is greater than his grace. The Bible says his grace is more than enough. And I don't know who this is for. The spirit of the Lord is quickening my heart and for the person who doubts. God wants you to know right now as you're questioning whether or not Jesus loves you. You have doubts because your life has been a wreck. Let me tell you something God will take the mess that's in your life and He will turn it into a message, and it will be the platform that He uses to bring about victory in your life. It's a new day. It's a new day. With every head bowed and every eye closed. you would say to me, Pastor Mark I've heard this message and I believe it's a new day but the same old thing has continued to overwhelm me, This, this place this difficulty, this problem this situation, this insecurity this fear it's caused me to focus upon what's broken rather than The wholeness that God is offering to me. So today, if you would say, I need God to help me in this place. I I need God to help me right where I am. This need that's in my life. That's so much greater than me. If that's you, no one's looking around. Just raise your hand all over this building. If there's a prayer request that you have in your heart, because you know that only God can help you with this. I want you to raise your hands high. Hands are going up all over this building. Can put your hands down if you would say from this day forward I want to live I want to live under the power of the resurrection, realizing that it's a new day. I want to walk in the newness of who God is in every single area of my life. That resurrection power, I want it to be in my relationships, in in my job, in in my emotions. Listen, for the person who had a dream and you feel like that dream is now gone, it's too too late. Listen, there is no expiration date to God's word. And today he is resurrecting something in your spirit spirit to remind you that it's still ahead your best days are yet to come if you want to live under that power i want you to raise your hand all over this building wow last but not least if you would say today i want to receive jesus christ as my lord and savior i want a second chance i want to i want forgiveness for my sins I, i want him to live in my heart if that's you i'm the only one looking around raise your hand. Let me see your hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. I I see those hands. Wow. Here's the deal. If you raised your hand for any one of those three things, I'm going to ask you to do something. One more thing. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and move down to this altar because I believe right now God wants to do something miraculous in your life. If you want to walk into that new day, step out from where you are, push that person to your left or to your right. You've got time in the balcony. Just come on. You've got time in the back. Don't miss this because I believe God wants to do something miraculous. So today, come and receive from him. People are coming from all over the building. Listen, you've got time in the back. You've got time in the balcony. Don't miss this because I think God wants to do a healing work in your life, in your mind mind, in your spirit. I know it's a new day and you need to walk in